Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I'm excited that you're listening this morning. Well, I hope you've been paying attention to what's happening in the political world this year. We obviously have an election coming up, and the political atmosphere of our country could not be more dynamic at this point. I think that the polarization between the different perspectives is more evident than it's ever been. I think the visions for the future are more different than they've ever been. The platforms unveiled that both the Republican and Democratic conventions these past couple of weeks could not be more different than they were. And of course, there are other different perspectives out there than just the Republican and Democratic ones. And I'm not going to talk about politics today. I do plan to spend some time in the month of October discussing politics and some different perspectives. It should be interesting and fun. It's on everybody's mind. And I think I'll try and provide a different approach to the topic than you'll probably be getting anywhere else. It'll be a definite, refreshing, uh, kind of unique perspective on some of those issues. But today I kind of wanted to refrain from getting into the politics and discuss something quite different, which has been coming up as this political season has developed. And that is Romney's faith. We've all heard that Romney is a Mormon, and that has brought up a ton of different questions about Mormonism. Some people would say that Mormonism is nothing but a denomination of Christianity, while others would go to the other end of the spectrum and say all sorts of interesting things about Mormonism. What I want to try and do today is provide a careful and unbiased perspective on what Mormonism is and what Mormons believe. As a Christian, I will note today, and there you have it, that is my bias in this presentation, but I will try to be very true to the facts. As a Christian, I'll be the first one to say that Mormonism is not Christianity. It is unique and separate from Christianity. And I think most Mormons would quickly agree that they are not just a denomination of Christianity, but rather an entirely different faith, a cult, if you will, or a response to traditional Christianity. We'll go into some of the different perspectives that Mormons have, some of their beliefs, some of the history, all these different things. And as I start this show, I wanted to start by saying I never like to disparage other faiths, but much more would rather explain why I believe that Christianity is valid. So on this show, if you've listened for very long, you'll remember and you'll know that we talk about the evidence for faith in Jesus Christ and the evidence for the Christian perspective and worldview. And that is the direction that I like to take this show. Today and occasionally in other instances, there will be opportunities to describe how other perspectives or worldviews don't line up with the evidence or don't line up with traditional Christianity. I've obviously talked a lot in this show how naturalism does not line up with the evidence and how it is obviously contradictory to Christianity. The two are in opposition to each other. The law of non-contradictions tells us that they can't both be right. So there is obviously going to be something wrong on some end of the spectrum. Now, when we come to the issue of Mormonism, I am hoping to, in a kind and honest way, show some of the different ways that it differs from Christianity, and I'm going to discuss some of the issues that I think are important to consider when evaluating this worldview. And you'll see that many of those are actually being considered by Mormon 
apologists and thinkers as well. And so they're not new to this conversation. And if you do a little bit of research on this topic, I'm sure you'll come up with a lot of the same answers and a lot of the same issues that I'm going to discuss today. So none of this is unique. There are a lot of different sources for this material. And as I state that, I'll say also that I have had the opportunity to have discussions with Mormons for many different years. I've had many different Mormon acquaintances or people that I've been able to discuss these issues with some more in depth than others, but many opportunities to discuss these issues nonetheless. And I hope that it will be something that will help you understand Mormonism and Mormons. As we say this, I want to state that I support Mormons' right to believe their faith. Obviously, I disagree with their faith, but I am extremely happy that we live in a country that guarantees all people religious freedom. And I don't think that discrimination against people should happen based on any of their beliefs or practices. We should be tolerant of each other's beliefs, loving each other in spite of our differences, and at the same time, like I always say, being willing to state what our beliefs are and that we really do believe that what we believe is true. Also being able to support why we believe what we believe. So as we begin this discussion, I think it is wrong for people to be criticizing Romney based on his Mormon religion. Obviously, that might be something that comes into consideration when people cast their vote this fall. I don't think that we should cast our vote based on a person's religion. I think in this country, we should cast our vote based on their policies. We should consider how those policies will affect this country. And the different policies being proposed this fall couldn't be more diametrically opposed. And we, again, will discuss those more in October. But suffice it to say, it would be wrong to Judge Romney simply because he is a Mormon. That being said, again, this issue is on people's minds, and a lot of people that have not heard much about it before are wondering, what are Mormons and what do they believe? So I will try to give you an unbiased perspective of what they believe, and also describing how that in some cases fails to line up with the truth, and in other cases, for instance, in their acceptance of the Bible, it does line up with the truth. But I do think that overall, there are some big problems with this religion or this cult, if you will. So as we begin this, I don't want to criticize Mormonism or Mormons, but I hope to shed some light on this issue. So I'm excited to talk about what we're going to talk about today. So bear with me as we discuss this. Mormonism was begun by Joseph Smith. Most of us have heard that name, and he's obviously had a significant impact on our country through his beginning of the Mormon religion. Joseph Smith was born on December 23rd of 1805, so a little more than 200 years ago. He claimed that God the Father and Jesus appeared to him in 1820 and told him not to follow any denomination of Christianity because all of them had been adulterated. They'd all been changed from what they were supposed to be. Now, whenever we hear of a religious perspective that is trying to correct traditional Christianity, that is called a cult. So Mormonism, by definition, would be a cult, not a denomination of Christianity. It is not just a unique perspective within the Christian religion or within the Christian worldview, but rather it is a supposed correction of Christianity. In other words, it is 
different than Christianity. In 1823, he claimed that the angel Moroni appeared to him and told him to translate the Book of Mormon from a collection of golden plates. We'll discuss some of that in a little while, but for now, it's enough to understand that seven years later, in March of 1830, Mormonism was born when the Book of Mormon was published. As these early Mormons began to multiply, they faced significant persecution. Part of that was because some of their interesting beliefs. For example, they believed in polygamy and things like that. And that created this opportunity for persecution. Mormonism began to spread from New York, where it began, to Ohio, then to Missouri, and finally to Illinois. Joseph Smith became the mayor of Nauvoo, but was eventually arrested for commanding the destruction of the city's newspaper, which had criticized him for polygamy. I think it has been said that Joseph Smith had around 27 wives, so when the newspaper criticized him based on that fact, he destroyed the newspaper. And because of that, he was put in prison. After being put in prison, he was killed in prison by an angry mob on June 27, 1844. And it shouldn't be forgotten that he died firing a gun he had received earlier that day into the mob. And so sometimes when I've discussed this issue with Mormons who have a tremendous amount of faith and admiration for Joseph Smith, I like to encourage them to look at the difference between Jesus and Joseph Smith. Jesus died peacefully for the sins of the world, while Joseph Smith died firing a gun into a crowd who were obviously angry at him. Obviously, I'm not going to say that he didn't have a right to defend himself. It's just a very different perspective than we see in Jesus Christ himself. So I also have a former friend that is a direct descendant of Joseph Smith and his first wife. And so it's been interesting getting to discuss some of this with her. After Joseph Smith's death, there were different power struggles and offshoots of Mormonism, but the majority of the church followed Brigham Young through Nebraska in 1846 and into Salt Lake City in modern-day Utah in 1847. This small group of Mormons established the city of Salt Lake on July 24, 1847. Since then, Mormonism has continued to grow. It's active across the globe, and there are about 14 million Mormons around the planet. So Romney is not alone in his Mormon faith. There are many Mormons all around the world, and I've actually run into Mormons in South America. I've run into Mormons in Europe. I've run into Mormons all over the planet in some of my travels and in many different countries. The Mormons claim a few different religious texts. In 1823, Joseph Smith claimed that the angel Moroni appeared to him and told him to translate the Book of Mormon and he was supposedly translating that from a collection of golden plates, which he said were written in Reformed Egyptian. There is no evidence that any such language called Reformed Egyptian ever existed, and there are copies of some of the characters that Joseph Smith copied from those plates that the Mormon Church has attempted to preserve, and they are not related to any known language. So definitely not anything related to Egyptian. There's also no evidence of any form of Egyptian that was ever spoken in North America, which would make it very peculiar to find these Egyptian plates in North America. The only evidence that these plates ever existed is the testimony of 11 Mormon men from the Book of Mormon Witnesses. 
And so it is hard to believe that these Mormon plates ever existed and that there ever was this reformed Egyptian language and that it ever was translated by Joseph Smith. A Mormon would have to take that completely on faith. It's very different than the biblical perspective where we might have something like 24,000 early manuscripts of various parts of the New Testament that we can go look at today. It's nothing like that. It's a collection of plates that do not exist that must be taken on faith existed at some time and it's in a language that cannot be observed that might never have come to be. So there is no reason to believe that Joseph Smith would have been able to translate those plates even if he had had those plates. He supposedly looked at a seer stone in his hat to be able to interpret the plates. This same stone is what he had apparently used to search for buried treasure before founding Mormonism in New York. It didn't help much in his search for treasure, and it's hard to believe that it would have helped much in the translation of this language for which there's no evidence that it ever existed. Here's how one of the foremost early Mormon leaders described this process. He said, and this is written by David Whitmer in 1887, Joseph Smith would put the seer stone into a hat and put his face in the hat, drawing it closely around his face to exclude the light. And in the darkness, the spiritual light would shine. A piece of something resembling parchment would appear, and on that appeared the writing. One character at a time would appear, and under it was the interpretation in English. Brother Joseph would read it off in English to Oliver Cowdery, who was his principal scribe. And when it was written down and repeated to Brother Joseph to see if it was correct, then it would disappear, and another character with the interpretation would appear. So very interesting process. And there's no evidence, again, that these plates ever existed or that they would have been able to have been translated in this peculiar manner had they existed. So these must be taken completely on faith by the Mormon. The Book of Mormon also has numerous archaeological and historical problems. There is no evidence for the people groups it claims inhabited North America, the Nephites and the Lamanites. There is also no evidence that these North American Native Americans descended from the Israelites as the Book of Mormon claims. In fact, DNA and linguistic studies point to Asian ancestry for North Americans, not Hebrew ancestry for North Americans. A modern Mormon scholar, Thomas Murphy, admits, quote, We are in a dilemma now. The DNA evidence shows clearly that the American Indians are not Hebrews, not Israelites. So again, this is something that has to be taken completely on faith without any sort of evidence whatsoever. It should also be noted that no Hebrew artifacts have ever been discovered in North America and no evidence of the people groups, individuals, cities, wars, or events in the Book of Mormon exists. There's no evidence that these things actually occurred. Again, when we contrast this with the Bible and we realize that no archaeological find has ever disproven anything in the Bible, and when we realized that the archaeology supports the biblical narrative and that the history in the Bible is a history that is factual, it is hard to compare the two. So there are many other archaeological problems with the Book of Mormon as well. The Book of Mormon discusses elephants, bees, horses, other different types of animals, certain grains and fruits, silk and steel, which were not known in North America prior to its discovery by Europeans, but supposedly in the Book of Mormon existed here before the Europeans arrived. So again, there are some definite problems where it does not correspond with the reality that we see when we investigate a little deeper. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution on KDUR 91.9 and 93.9 FM here in Durango and KDUR.org online. We're talking about 
Mormonism. And the reason we're talking about this this morning is it is in the spotlight because it is the candidate for the Republican Party for president, Mitt Romney's religion. And as we discuss this again, I wanted to start this show off. And I started off by saying that we should not discriminate against Romney because of his religion. As an American, he is free to believe whatever he wants to believe. And I respect him for that. And I would be the last person in the world to disparage him for his beliefs. That being said, I thought it would be beneficial to look at this religion today because it's on everybody's minds. And I've had people say, isn't Mormonism just a different denomination of Christianity? My response is always that it is not a different denomination of Christianity. Rather, it is a cult or it is a religious system that attempted to correct Christianity or a problem that it perceived in Christianity, which I'll be the first to say did not exist. But anyway, as we continue discussing some of the issues with Mormonism, and we've talked about some of those, so you could get some of those on GodSolutionShow.com if you'd like to look online for the first half of the show if you missed it. But going on, there are definite issues within the text itself. So we've already discussed how a lot of these things don't line up with archaeology or history. But beyond that, this text is not coherent with itself. For example, the Book of Mormon claims to be in agreement with the Bible, but has numerous disagreements. Alma chapter 7, verse 10 states that Jesus was born in Jerusalem, while the Bible tells us that he was born in Bethlehem, according to prophecy. Another example, Matthew 22 says there will be no marriage in heaven, while Mormons claim there will be marriage in heaven. So we see that there is this disparity between the Book of Mormon and the Bible. And Mormons do receive the Bible as one of their texts, one of their holy texts. But they would believe that the Book of Mormon is superior to the Bible. It is interesting to note that there is a disparity between what the Book of Mormon says and what the Bible says. Since 1830, the Book of Mormon has had many different revisions and additions. It's had somewhere around 4,000 corrections since 1830. So again, we see a fundamental problem that if this is supposed to be the inspired word of God, why is it always being updated, edited, changed thousands of times? So Mormons claim two additional holy books, the Doctrine and Covenants, which was written mostly by Joseph Smith, but also with some contributions by later leaders. And they also have the Pearl of Great Price, which is a compilation of early Mormon writings. The current prophet also has authority to speak doctrinal truth, which is the reason that we often see these additions being made. Thomas S. Monson is the current prophet and president of the LDS Church, and the LDS president Wilford Woodruff, for example, in the 1890 manifesto, ended LDS polygamy. So any Mormon president or prophet can change doctrine. So just like Woodruff ended polygamy in the church, modern Mormon prophets can change doctrine or make additions to their holy books. Again, it's believed that Joseph Smith had somewhere around 27 wives, and so he was obviously a polygamist. The Mormon church no longer espouses that doctrine. In fact, they would contradict that. And so if anybody's wondering if Romney supports polygamy, he does not. He is not supporting polygamy. You should also know that LDS President Spencer Kimball reversed Mormon exclusion of African Americans in the 1978 revelation on priesthood. So until the late 70s, there was incredible discrimination within the church against minorities 
but that was reversed by their president, Spencer Kimball, in 1978. Finally, Mormons do accept the Bible, as I previously mentioned, as one of their religious texts, and I would have to agree with them on that perspective that there are great reasons to trust the Bible. We've talked about a lot of those on this show. I would ask you to go, again, to GodSolutionShow.com, where you can see a lot of the evidence for why we can trust every single word in the Bible. That being said, I think Mormons would do well to trust every single word in the Bible, and I think that would lead them to the perspective that their other books, The Doctrine and the Covenants, The Pearl of Great Price, and The Book of Mormon, are significantly flawed along with their theology in those areas. So I think there are great reasons to believe the Bible superior to those of the Book of Mormon and other holy books in this religious perspective. So what about modern Mormonism? Again, it's in the spotlight like never before since Romney, the Republican candidate for president of the United States of America, is a Mormon. And that being the case, it's definitely going to be something that people think about a lot. And I'm excited for this opportunity to clarify different perspectives. I'm excited for the opportunity to clarify what true Christianity is and how it differs from Mormonism. And I think it's important for people to learn about Mormonism and see how it is different from Christianity. Also, I think it's important for people to respect Mormons and love them like they would respect anyone that they disagree with, not holding their religion personally against them. And I've already been surprised by some of the vicious attacks on Romney because of his faith, and I think those are absolutely terrible. He should not be disparaged because of his faith. And in an election season, we should hold the candidates to their promises and to their policies we should not judge them based on their religious perspective. So Mormonism in modern America, what's it like? Many Mormons claim to be just a denomination of Christianity, like I previously mentioned, but when pressed, they will most often admit that there are major differences between themselves and Christians. Mormons believe Jesus and Satan are brothers. Christians do not believe Jesus and Satan are brothers. Mormons have many religious obligations, much has been made of the supposed secret Mormon underwear. I think that's a little bit of a disparaging term, but that is a requirement for Mormons that they would have this undergarment that reflects some of the promises that they've made in the temple and reminds them of their dedication. And it is something that is unique to Mormonism in many ways. They also have to abstain from coffee and caffeine, even though Mormon tea has coffee and ephedra. They conduct baptisms for the dead, which is taken from a small passage in 1 Corinthians, and it's taken out of context, and they've created a very unique and interesting theological perspective and requirement based on that passage, something that was never intended. And it's pretty awkward to know that after you die, you may be baptized in the Mormon temple uh, by name in order to somehow save your soul or give you the opportunity for salvation uh, so that you will not end up not being saved. The Bible tells us that we are free in Christ and that we should live in love. And a lot of the things that we hear about, whether it's these restrictions for undergarments or restrictions from various types of caffeine, go against the freedom that the Bible says Christians should live with. Mormons believe we all can become gods in the same way that they say God was once like us. The Bible tells us that is not the case. I believe the exact quote in Mormon doctrine is that as God is, we once will be, and as we are, God once was. 
And that is extremely wrong from a biblical perspective. The Bible tells us that God is infinite, that he was not created. And to say that he was a being just like us and that he became God and that we too can become gods is very much contradictory to Christian doctrine. So again, not just a denomination. Mormons ultimately, though, do believe in salvation by works. We have to earn our salvation and we have to earn our way to the Mormon perspective of paradise, which would be inhabiting and populating your own planet with your own spiritual wife and or, depending on the denomination, wives for those that still believe in polygamy. The Bible tells us differently. The Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith by putting our trust in Jesus Christ, not through our own works. And of course, the Bible doesn't say anything about populating planets in the afterlife. So I want to give credit where it's due, and the credit would be that the Mormons do believe or accept the Bible. I believe that they should hold to it more firmly. It would be wise of them. And I also believe that we should give them credit for putting a high emphasis on family values. What that means is there is a benefit to the marriage relationship, that sex is best in a committed married relationship, that unborn babies are living human beings, that kids deserve to be respected, along with extended relatives and the elderly. Furthermore, that loving your neighbor as yourself is important. All those things are vitally important, and I think that they should be given credit for having those high family values. But again, like I've said many times today in this show, we should not look at Mormonism as a denomination of Christianity. We should realize that it differs incredibly from Christian doctrine. We should also realize that there are very good reasons to reject Mormonism on the basis that it is not historically accurate, on the basis that it doesn't cohere with itself, their internal contradictions, and on the basis that ultimately it contradicts the message of the gospel found in the Bible. Now, closing, I want to reiterate what that message is. The Bible says that God loves you with an infinite love and that he has a wonderful plan for your life and desires that you would live all of eternity in heaven with him. However, the Bible says that each one of us are sinful and that our sin separates us from a perfect God. That sin cannot be left alone. On our own, we'll always be separated from God. So something had to resolve that sin issue. And God chose to become a man, God in human flesh, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life that I could never live, to take all my sins on himself, to die on the cross for all those sins, paying them in full so that anyone who puts their trust in him could be forgiven on account of him paying the debt of my sin. Not only that, but his resurrection accomplished a power over death, which allows you and I to know confidently that if we've put our trust in Christ, we too will be risen from the dead after we die to live in eternity with him in heaven. As we close this show, I would like to invite you to First Baptist. They'll be meeting on Third Avenue this morning, and they'll be meeting at 1045 a.m., I'd like to ask you to join them at 1045 right on 3rd Avenue. Again, that's First Baptist. And if you get a chance to stop by, tell Jeff and Gary and Nate and Preston and all those guys that we say hi. We truly appreciate them. And I know that you will find them to be a community where you can grow in your faith, where you'll be respected for who you are, 
where you'll be loved genuinely, where you will be respected for who you are, and where you will have the opportunity to learn and grow into the person that God made you to be. I'd also like to invite you to connect this week. We're going to be meeting in Noble 125. Again, that's Noble 125 this Tuesday at 6 p.m. So Noble 125, Tuesday at 6 p.m. It's going to be phenomenal. I'm going to be talking about reasons that you can be confident about faith in Christ. So if you've ever struggled with doubt or struggled with knowing whether or not you can be fully confident in what you believe, I would encourage you to join us this week for Connect. It'll be a great time. Again, Noble 125 at 6 p.m. on Tuesday. And bring some friends when you come. Finally, as I always close out the show, I want to remind you that an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. And as we've discussed some of these issues today, I hope you came away with the perspective that we can evaluate any worldview. And I hope it didn't sound like I was picking on Mormonism. We can take any worldview and we can evaluate it according to logical criteria and find out if it measures up to the evidence. And if it does, we can pursue that. And I really believe that if you apply that condition stringently, you'll find that only faith in Christ meets those criteria. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful Sunday. I'm